This is the latest disclosure in a report from National Civil Defense Headquarters in Washington. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. A widespread investigation of reports from funeral homes, morgues, and hospitals has concluded that the unburied dead are coming back to life and seeking human victims. It's hard for us here to... Hi, I'm the Reverend Dr. Death. And I'm La Yarena. And this is Death Holler News. First up in local news, the werewolves of Blood Silk Creek have uh, begun construction of an altar. It is reported to be almost twice as tall as a human and three times as wide, but not much else is known, as our disemboweled eyewitness had to laugh, leave his eyes before we could finish our interview. Regardless, we can be sure this is a terrible development, and until further notice, it is recommended that anyone planning a hiking or camping trip in the region make alternative plans. Or not. <laughs> If that's your thing, you can you can stay. <laughs> as far as the news goes, uh, as horror-related, we have, uh, first up, the Resident Evil The Village news. Um, a few items here, and you can chime in, Urena, because I know that you have some experience with this. I'm an expert at this point. <laughs> it is uh, part of a planned trilogy uh, that concludes with Part 9, which this is considered Part 8, so it's the middle of the trilogy. According to Games Radar, all three games have shared a very close development, and they it started with Resident Evil Seven, and it continues kind of the plot line, you know, where I guess the main character's son in that game was kidnapped. I don't know much else about that because I've not played Seven, unfortunately, or The Village. But you can tell me if it has. It has. I know it has something to do with the baby because the next story up is uh, from Rock Paper Shotgun and. They are talking about all the mods that are coming out for the game, and they say they are getting creepy. The mods... It's ridiculous, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of mods. Now, I know when I purchased the original pack, I got mods with it, and I was like, ah, what the heck, we'll just get them because I'm probably going to end up buying them down the road. have not experienced them yet. I think I'm more than halfway through the game. It's a slow burn for me. Don't watch me play video games. I'm not great at it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I mean... How it's going to get creepier is is uh, interesting because the game's pretty fucking creepy as it is already. Well, according to this, uh, the article, it said that uh, they started adding in uh, Barney as the enemy model in the game shortly after, and Thomas the Tank Engine's head was put on Lady... Oh, De hell no! ...was put on La Lady Demetresque. This was like as soon as the game was released. <laughs> Okay, that's just a disservice to Lady D. I mean, come on now. She's gorgeous. Why would you do that? Uh, the creep factor, I guess. I mean, those cold, you know, unblinking eyes from Thomas the Tank Engine. I mean, that, you know, that would be pretty disturbing. Um, and you're talking about Barney the Purple Dinosaur, right? Yeah. <laughs> All the uh, zombie-like characters in the game basically are being replaced by Barney. Oh, my God. 
on top of that, it, it seems that some people were, uh, speaking of the, the baby, as I mentioned, that were swapping out the heads of Chris Redfield and Ethan Winter's baby in the game, meaning that you got a baby with an adult man's head attached to it with the motion capture perfectly mimicking it crying. And then you had a, a an adult Chris Redfield walking around the game with a baby's head attached to him. Now, the Chris with the baby head would be creepy to me, but that baby is creepy looking already. It's a normal baby, but something about this baby is creepy looking. So the baby with the Chris Redford head might be, you know, better. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's another mod mod, uh, titled Casual Alcina. I guess that's how it's pronounced. I don't know. But anyways, they've swapped out uh, Lady Dimitrescu normal attire for a baggy sweater and skinny jeans. So if uh, I mean, uh, she's got a hot body. So I mean, if, if you that's what you prefer. If, I mean, I'm sure that if you go into the realm of mods, they've probably you know put all kinds of things in there, uh, clothing wise. Otherwise, that was just one of the funnier ones. Uh, they oh. <laughs> they they always throw you know yeah, fetish gear, everything else they can, and stuff like that. So if that's your thing, go at it. And the last little thing I saw, just looking up the mods myself, because this wasn't in the article, is that they have started swapping in famous movie killers, uh, such as Michael Myers and the Scream Ghostface Killer, in place of the the regular bad guys in the game. Is is this like an expansion pack that you can purchase? Because my kids are going to freak out. I think this might be something you have to have access to, like the PC version maybe to get, because I don't know. I know that Fallout and Bethesda games offered up the ability on Xbox to mod their games, a little bit less so to the PlayStation, but for sure Xbox. But the the PC, you know, they, they always mod everything. I mean, whatever you want to do to a game, you can do it on a PC. Yeah, and that's pretty lame because we have PlayStation. And let's be honest, I'm not going to be modding anything anytime soon. <laughs> but if lame. You, yeah, but I mean, they are doing kind of crazy things like that in the on the PC version. And it was, it was just kind of funny seeing Michael Myers, uh, you know, stalking after the character in the game. I mean, yeah, that'd be, it, it, would, it would actually, it's already, you already feel like you're being followed in the game, specifically at the beginning when you're kind of just in the middle of this wooded area nothing but snow and rustling noises around you so to have michael myers or any original 80s slasher creeper monster following you behind is actually perfect just add the you know (laughs) and it would just complete that the last bit of news that i have about that game is uh and it's probably the biggest news as far as i'm concerned is that there's a huge controversy that's surrounding it uh, this news article is brought to us by PCGamer.com. Uh, Richard Raporst, director of a 2013 indie film called Frankenstein's Army, claims that the game designers took his creative or his creature creations from the film without permission and without giving credits to their source. And uh, further back him up, Twitter user uh, at CloneCorp uh, tweeted some comparisons between the film and the game, and there is some compelling evidence that this was the case. Uh, two creatures in particular, if you look at the pictures, uh, one with propeller for a head and another in a diving helmet, which is already similar to the Big Daddy creatures from Bioshock, look very similar. Raphorst doesn't want to sue, but would like to be given credit by Capcom for use of his designs. And I got to say, if you do look at the pictures, I mean, it's pretty damning. There is a lot of comparison between some of the monsters in this game and his what he had in his movie. 
yeah, I do believe that. We both took a look at that, and we were like, yeah, they're going to get in trouble. Yeah, the propeller one's the main one. Like, I mean, it, you know, like the, the, the diving helmet, that's been done before, like I said, but the, the propeller head, that, that's kind of a, I mean, they look almost dead on what's in the game. I remember that, yeah. So, I mean, if anybody, you know, that's listening would like to take a look, just look up at Clone Corp, and you can probably find the comparisons. Uh, he did like a whole uh, tweet, you know, like a whole series of tweets about it and kind of combine them together for comparisons. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there anything else you want to mention about the game before we move on? I, I know you didn't get to really talk about it in the last episode of Death Holler, so I figured I'd give you your time to speak about <laughs> I it. I feel like I did talk about it pretty decently, Um no, in terms of news, I don't feel like I have a lot to mention. I mean, I already said it. I'm kind of a little more than halfway through the game. Uh, creepy as all hell. Uh, we can only handle playing it probably about 20 minutes at a time. Not to mention, I'm a horrible, horrible video game player. I don't know why I thought putting a controller in my hand would be a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's very, very slow progress every time we play. And then the kids get so scared, they don't want to touch the controller. They're actually better at playing games. So um, yeah, we're screwed. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on, according to Sci-Fi Wire, uh, Lock and Key Season 2 wrapped production in April. Oh, man. It was delayed, like everything else due to COVID, but in December it was confirmed by Netflix that a third season was greenlit. Hopefully, uh, you know, and this will just be the second season, so they've already confirmed they're moving on to the third. Hopefully it won't be long before we can dive back into the series and see where the Locke family ends up uh, following the huge reveal at the end of season one, which we're not going to reveal for spoiler's sake, but it's pretty big. It's one of those. Yeah, Reverend, do you think we will do a small recap? of season one before season two starts? Because I don't know if we're going to wait for the, well, I guess they do release everything all at once on Netflix. I don't know if we're going to do a review of Lock and Key as a whole, season one and two, kind of like we did with uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, or maybe a small recap of season one and then follow season two. We, I mean, we can do that. I mean, it. you know, it's, it's uh, one of the best, uh, I mean, the comic book's great uh, by author Joe Hill, which if you didn't know is the son of Stephen King, and it's and the series has turned out great. I mean, it's pretty much matching perfectly with what was in the comics, and I mean, they're doing a great job with the live action in this case. Yeah, and oh my God. I don't know. I have a couple of his books, but um, have you read anything by Joe Hill? I haven't, actually. I've got a couple of books by him, and I've watched the movie Horns that had starred Daniel Radcliffe, and it was great. And then, of course, I, I did read the, the, the graphic novel series or comic series of Lock and Key, but I've not actually broke down and, and read his, any of his other books. I'm going to be honest with you. I did not know he was the son of Stephen King. Um, it's pretty apparent did... if you see a picture of him. <laughs> oh, my God. Looks dead on like him, yeah. by all means. Looks just like him. Uh I read a book of his, a total psychedelic horror, just out of this world called Heart-Shaped Box. Um, I I read it at a time where I read kind of a lot of horror books at one time, so I might have the details mixed, but I do remember this book. I still have it on my shelf. Uh, I could probably flip a few, few pages, and it was an insane read, very amazing. And then he has another one that is sitting on my shelf I have not read yet, um, called Nosferatu. Now, you don't know that. You kind of have to piece it together because the cover of the book is a license plate, and it's N as in Nancy, O-S-4-A-2. And 
and something I'd forgotten until you mentioned that just now, they actually have a series on AMC based on that. Oh, my God. I would have to watch that. Uh, if he is the creator behind it, I don't know if just by being the writer of the book or maybe he's involved in some kind of way, it has to be amazing. His books are amazing. I think he, if I remember right, in the because I watched the TV show, I didn't. I don't think I finished the first season of it because of how AMC was set up, although it is on Shudder now because they're owned by AMC. So if you have Shudder, that's another plug for them. You can watch Nosferatu on that. But uh, I believe Zachary... Quinto or Kento uh, is the one who played Spock in the new Star Trek series. Is the one who plays yeah. as the you know titular bad guy basically in that. So um, and Shutter, we are looking for sponsors. So if you are interested, <laughs> please contact us oh. at deathholler at gmail dot com. <laughs> deathhollerpodcast at gmail dot com. Oh, let, pardon me. Yeah. Death, look at that. I'm going to have to do some editing here. Yeah. <laughs> are we live? We're not live. Turn the cameras off. Let's do it live. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Next up from that, uh, we're still moving on to other things that are kind of Netflix related, but we'll get into that in a second. Blumhouse has got a ton of stuff coming out. Uh, fresh off their uh, promotion tour for uh, the Forever Purge, uh, uh, the the head honcho behind Blumhouse, I think his name is Jason Blum, but anyways, anyway, he has revealed to several different news sources. First up, Digital Spy says that there's going to be an Exorcist remake, which I was not aware of, that they're going to be house, or you know helming. And I don't know how I feel about the Exorcist remake. Do you really think that that's going to be that great? Well, I'm looking at a photo. Now, this was off the ad, not the ad, excuse me, the, uh, the article uh, we read from the Den of Geek. And there is a picture of this, ugh, I don't know, disheveled child not even possessed looking yet. And I'm like, if this is what they're using, if this is one of the things that you're talking about, it looks creepy to me. I feel like there's so many, I do feel like there are so many remakes of The Exorcist. Maybe not so much remakes, but well, yeah, there is a remake that was done recently, wasn't there? Mm, I don't know if there was a remake of The Exorcist necessarily. They've done a, a lot of uh, takes on that, like the exorcism of Emily Rose or whatever it was and, you know, the, all that stuff. But I don't know that there was a direct Exorcist remake. They, uh, The last thing I remember that was directly involved with it was the, which I didn't mention in the last episode of Death Holler, was the spoof that they did in Scary Movie 2 that had James Woods, I believe is his name, uh, who was Father uh, Marin, basically, in that, and... And it was it was a pretty funny little spoof of it, but I mean that was just like a short little segment at the beginning of the movie. But that's the last thing I remember that was totally Exorcist related as regards to the original film. Well, I just went to IMDb, and for sure this is the same one you're talking about. They have uh, they have not done it, so it's in the making right now. So they haven't done it yet. I saw that it was in the making. It looks creepy based off of screenshots and you know photos that have been posted, little leaks, if you will. Given that Blumhouse is doing it, and I believe is Joe Hill involved with this one as well, I thought I saw something about that. Well, we'll get to that in a second. They are doing something with Joe Hill, but that's not necessarily with The Exorcist. That's a totally separate thing. There's just a ton of well, a ton of news about Blumhouse that came out like all at one time. It was just kind of all dry. Okay, well, Blumhouse alone being involved, I have confidence. Let's just put it that way. Well, the, they had the producer of, of Halloween, uh, the new one, and Halloween Kills, which is the one that's coming out this year. Uh, say that they're going to give it the same kind of treatment they did the Halloween reboot, which is generally, you know, considered a, you know, a fairly faithful, 
you know, continuation of the series if you ignore everything from two on, basically. So, yeah. Um, I'm, here's hoping that they do. I mean, Blumhouse has produced some of my favorite films in the last few years, especially like Happy Death Day and its sequel. And I mean, as far as like recent horror films, so I can't really you know, fault them and say that they're, but they, they have produced their own, you know, line of stinkers as well. So it's kind of, I, I, I'm just kind of cautiously awaiting to see how this Exorcist remake goes. For me, I feel like even their stinkers, as you called them, <laughs> were kind of, I don't know, hilariously horrible, horrific and horrible. I don't know that it was intentional. It felt that way. So we'll just play it off as that, at least in my mind, so that I can keep... <laughs> You know, liking Blumhouse and respecting them. But, yeah, th- I think they do a pretty good job, so. Um, they're also doing, this is from Den of Geek, uh, they've got a deal with Stephen King and his son to do a multitude of things. They are uh, doing a remake of Firestarter, which that could actually be really good because I don't feel like the original Firestarter is that great of a film to begin with. Yeah, I never really cared for it too much, so maybe the newer version, I mean, I have a feeling they're going to make her a lot more evil. I think that they can do a lot more with her, especially if they get the right, you know, actress. Uh, it's going to have to be a young actress, obviously, and those are always hard to work with. But I, I feel like they've kind of, they've already got, uh, and and I didn't have it pulled up as far as the name, but they do have an actress cast already in that part. Uh, I think they're having Zac Efron's going to be her father in that. I don't know how I feel about that. That can go either way. I, you know, he's <laughs> he is what he is, but. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting, but there's a lot of room. I mean, that it's a type of remake that I that I'm I'm okay with because there's there's times where, like say for instance, uh, John Carpenter's the thing where he remade the original uh, uh, What Goes There or whatever the name of that film was, uh, and and made it into a you know the great film that it was. Uh, and then you have like the the remake of of The Fly that you know Jeff Goldblum was starred in those were vastly improved over the previous incarnations. And there's room to do that, but it seems like anymore they want to take a proven property and try to remake it. And I, and it's kind of a bad way to go because they usually have a bad take on it. Whereas if they just took movies that were, didn't do so well the first time and had good concepts like Firestarter and remade them, I think there's an audience for that. Yeah, I mean, looking at this article alone, it looks like there's quite a few films are you going to bring up the rest that are in the article I'm, yeah i'm going to bring up the other one the next one and this is the, the kind of an example of one that i think that they're going the other way with which is bad christine because there's a lot Ooh, i'm so excited there <laughs> i is, saw that one and i had to shut up there is a lot of people that love that older film and i and the, i mean this one can go either way i i'm not going to say that the original is perfect but there is something about the original Christine that is kind of timeless, and it's going to be interesting to see if they can, you know, do better than what the original off. Now, Reverend, you take that back. The older and original Christine was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I will come after you through the speaker box. Okay, I'll, I'll back off. I'll, I will attack you in your sleep. I will concede your your love of that film. I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. It's just it's uh, as far as Stephen King's films go. I, there's other ones I prefer, but you know, it, it's it it is. Oh well, definitely. But yeah, that one was just a good, nice cult classic. I love the song that was always playing every time. Christine would uh, get a little jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, sometimes it was different songs depending on her mood. Yeah, mostly, though, it was those cheesy, you know, uh, 50s love songs. Absolutely, yes. Now, Christine, it looks like um, it's going to be, uh, while writing and directing is going to be Brian Fuller, who 
if you recall, I mean, I know you've seen this. I haven't, so shame on me. But uh, Eli Roth's History of Horror, he was involved with that. Okay. Uh, Star Trek. I mean, I don't, I don't recall ever seeing or hearing about short treks, but that was a deal from 2018 to 2020. Uh, Star Trek Discovery, uh, Hannibal, uh, American Gods. So he's been involved in quite a few, I mean, probably still involved with American Gods. I believe that's still going. Yeah, that was one that I always wanted to get into, but I only watched like the first couple episodes. That that book's amazing, by the way, by Neil Gaiman. Anybody who wants to read American Gods, that is that is a really good story. And Neil Gaiman was the writer of Coraline. Mm-hmm. He's done quite a few uh, pretty decently scary books, whether it's through your imagination or actual horror. Yeah, his uh, Sandman series, I mean, this is not part of the news, but I mean, it ties into Netflix, is going to be a Netflix series here soon. Okay. Yeah. I mean, looks like he did Good Omens as well, which I couldn't get into that one, but I think you you thought that was a pretty funny. It's like a comedy horror, horror comedy. Yeah, I enjoyed it just because of the fact that uh, David Tennant was in that. You know, obviously he was the tenth Doctor, and uh, for anybody who's in the Doctor Who, and the fact that he played basically Crowley is about the name that he went. There's that that tie that yes. I liked, and the fact that he looked like Ozzy Osbourne that was even better. <laughs> Uh, but speaking of Netflix, Blumhouse is developing a Netflix series actually based on a short story uh, called Mr. Harrigan's Phone, and that, that's uh, from Stephen King as well. It's from a book series called It Bleeds. I don't, I've not read that one. That has to be one of his newer ones. I kind of stopped reading pretty much after some of his newer stuff like Bag of Bones. I mean, it's, well, newer. Newer for me, like Bag of Bones and like Dreamcatcher. That was about the time that I stopped reading a lot of uh, King's stuff. So this has to be one of his newer collections. It is. I've been seeing um, ads pop up for it on my Facebook page. Um, I've seen, actually, I've seen the book when I go to the bookstore kind of just staring at me, and I'm like, oh, that looks pretty good. But it has a cat on the front cover. Now, I'm sure there might be multiple versions of the cover, but it reminded me for some reason of Pet Cemetery. and I'm like, okay, what is this? I <laughs> literally thought it was like a story about a cat. I didn't realize there was a multitude of stories yeah. in this universe. Yeah, it has to be one of his anthology series like Nightmares and Dreamscapes and uh, Skeleton Crew. Uh, he... He did a. He's done a bunch of books or that are just like a collection of short stories. And some of his most or some of his most popular and best written films are actually based on short stories, like The Mist. Of course, The Green Mile was kind of a series of short uh, no, novels or no, novellas. And um, of course, The Shawshank Redemption, one of the best movies of all time, was was written uh, as a short story. So some good stuff can come from those. So it's it's really interesting to see if that's what, you know, if uh, what comes out of Mr. Harrigan's phone. Well, La Yarena loves novellas, especially when children are not bothering her while she's watching them or reading them. So I fully approve. <laughs> and uh, lastly, when it comes to Blumhouse and are working with the, the King family, uh, they are working with Joe Hill and the director of the Sinister movies to bring about one of Joe Hill's movie or books called The Black Phone, which I think is funny. Mr. Harrigan's phone and The Black Phone, but, you know, like father, like son. <laughs> but uh, they are they are going to bring that to the, the uh, movie theaters, and so that's going to be something else from Joe Hill that's going to be out there. Hmm. I mean, is it bad that I'm interested just because Joe Hill's involved? I mean, yes, Stephen King, but Jill, Joe Hill is obviously the younger version, and I don't know. I guess horror can be timeless and ageless, but... Something about Joe Hill's crazy mindfuck of writing is really like, I don't know, it draws me in. 
Yeah, he's, I don't know, from what I, I mean, just lock and key itself, He's he's got a style that's all of his own, but you can tell that he's definitely got influence from his father, and it, it's it, it's also a generational thing. I, you feel, I mean, he's like of our generation, you know, we're still a little bit older oh, yeah. than, you know, like Gen Z and all that, but I mean, he's of the, you know, right before the millennial type generation, so he's, you know, he's got a different perspective he's coming with. He's not stuck in the 50s and the nostalgia that the king has he's more you know if he has any nostalgia it's like late 80s early 90s which is kind of interesting you know uh, trajection from where his father's at well yeah and it speaks to us specifically um if the listeners want to laugh they'll i haven't mentioned this yet but you'll recall that i spoke to you about how i couldn't get through like the first what two or three episodes of lock and key because it was so suspenseful at certain points i would get so scared i would have to shut it off it it was it and it ended up being not as bad you mentioned you're like it's not that scary and i'm like yeah but you and i have different ideas of what scary is (laughs) well it's interesting you say that i mean i I thought the comic was for i mean you you know a graphic novel i I don't know what it would take to actually scare scare me if i was reading one but i feel like there was some tension even built into that just because you were always wondering what's on the next page what's going to happen to these poor kids you know because he sets up the the world they're in as being having so many dangers and 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 being so threatening that you're just I mean you're you're just rooting for the kids the whole way through and kind of like I don't know how they're going to get out of this one type type deal. Well, for graphic novels, the ones that really kept me on my toes and Lock and Key, I have read a few of those as well. Uh, and yes, just like the Netflix series, if not more, they do really kind of you're like okay, do I even want to turn this page at this point? Um, but The Walking Dead. I mean, and that is still going as far as I know. And 30 Days of Night, if you have not picked up that graphic novel and you want to be terrified, that's a really good one. Yeah, that, that graphic novel uh, is a lot better than the film. I, you might love the film. I, I thought it was okay, uh, you know, but I felt like the, the novel was great, or, or the graphic novel yeah, that I it was Yeah, I will agree with on. you that the novel, yeah, the, I mean, the graphic novel was better than the film. I did like the film, but, I mean, I'm sure we'll watch that again during the vampire season, and I may have another feeling about it. Yeah, I, 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 we're going to rewatch it. That's going to definitely be one of them, so we'll see how we feel about it then. Um, sticking with the Netflix announcements, uh, yet again, uh, this one comes from Deadline. Tim Burton is, is set to direct a new live action series titled Wednesday, which is written by the creators of Smallville. And it, and it follows Wednesday Adams as she attends Nevermore Academy and struggles to master her, her new psychic abilities. Ooh. There are also a series of murders plaguing the nearby town, and she will, uh, I guess, through the course of the show, uh, also be involved in trying to solve those, trying to figure out who's, you know, committing the the murders. They have uh, tapped uh, Jenna Ortega from Jane the Virgin to start as uh, Wednesday. And I'm I'm just interested in seeing this one. I mean, it's Tim Burton. He's, you know, he's tackling the, you know, the Adams family, which is right up his alley as far as like, what he his aesthetic goes and what he's really into and i the only thing that bothers me is everybody was kind of hoping and and putting out rumors that that johnny depp might be like gomez and like christina ricci might be morticia you know since they were going skewing younger for wednesday and i don't i've not seen anything that says that that's the case so that's kind of disappointing yeah well, that's kind of, in my opinion, I could see that absolutely working. I really feel like it's wishful thinking at this point. 
Yeah, I, I think this is going for something completely different. This I'm not, and I'm tr- not trying to smirch this at all. I mean, because the Smallville riders are way more capable than the riders of uh, of Riverdale. But uh, in Riverdale season one, I, I will throw out there it's actually being good, regardless of how it devolved. I thought that first season was good for setting up a show that could have been a lot better later on. But this almost reads to me like, you know, uh, like a Riverdale type thing, you know, like the kind of working a mystery into it, taking established characters that you know and kind of putting them in a different, darker setting, basically. Yeah, well, I'm fully interested. I'm looking at the actress right now, Jenna Ortega. She looks like the animated version of the, I don't know, uh, tween, tween aged uh, Wednesday Adams. Um, and she was in, I don't know if many people knew this, she was uh, in Insidious Chapter 2. I'd, she played Annie. I did not know that. Yeah, so she she has some horror uh, horror underneath her belt, so she's got that going for her. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking forward to it, and hopefully it delivers, because, I mean, I would like to see this actually take off. I would actually see Wednesday, you know, somehow work back in and actually give some kind of life back to the uh, live action Adams family. I mean, I appreciate what they're doing with the cartoon movies and they are doing yeah. a sequel to those, but I mean, we just want to see the live action come back. Well, there is an article from bustle and it's like Tim Burton, please leave Wednesday Adams alone. And I'm like, whoa, bustle, take it easy. Let's give it a chance. Everyone loves the Adams family. Uh, anything beyond the animated movies that they're making right now is just taking a creative idea and trying to redo it in their own mindset. So the fact that this is just the story of Wednesday Adams, and yes, her family is going to make appearances in this, but I like that it's following just her. I mean, I don't know that I would find a show about Pugsley <laughs> super interesting. Oh, <laughs> nobody would find a show about him interesting. I mean, it, Pugsley to me would be if you was to follow him as far as where you, he would naturally go, he would probably be a serial killer of some kind. I mean, just projecting yeah. from where he was at and what you know kind of person he kind of was made out to be. I might be interested in baby pubert. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes, and I think Bustle just needs to calm the fuck down. Yeah. First of all, it's Tim Burton. Second... I mean, Adam's family, Tim Burton, come on now. Yeah, they, they need to chill out. We need to see where this is going because, I mean, I, I could easily see this, you know, being the next big thing if if everything aligns. Tim Burton flexes a creative muscle and kind of, you know, gets away from some of the Alice in Wonderland stuff and that he kind of, you know, went into, in, you know, in more recent times and kind of go back to some of the stuff that, you know, he's more known for. If he t- taps into that, plus the Adam's family, I think they've got a hit on their hands. Well, Reverend, I agree with you. Uh, Hocus Pocus 2 is finally happening. Uh, Oh, my God. (laughs) According to comicbook.com, Hocus Pocus 2 is confirmed for 2022 and will feature the return of the original Sanderson sisters. Uh, Not many details have been revealed, but the film will release on Disney Plus and is supposed to have three young female leads uh, uh, and have them bring the sisters back to modern-day Salem. So it, I, they've not really revealed if they're going to bring back any of the other actors uh, from the original film other than the three sisters. If they don't, I think that's a missed opportunity, even though I know the actors have drastically changed in appearance. But it's uh, I, I just it, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, I, you know, I think that, you know, for a lot of people, the Sanderson sisters were the draw of the first movie. But there's a, but, I, you know, if you're nostalgic for it, like a lot of us are, you want to see some of the other characters come back. 
you know, it would be interested if um, Thora Birch, who played Danny in the original film, if she was one of the girls or maybe <laughs> one of her daughters, because I know she's also drastically older. Yeah. We've all aged, let's be honest. <laughs> yep. um, maybe one of her daughters was one of the girls that helps raise the Sanderson sisters. Um, this is exciting news. It just, I have a little bit of fear in me of... You have all this excitement. You have all these expectations. I want to keep my expectations low because I don't want to be let down by this. Well, it's it's hard not to feel like you might be let down by this because so many people, especially going back to our age group, love this movie. This is a staple of Halloween time. It is. It plays on what the thirty one days of Halloween on ABC Family or whatever they call it now. Uh, Freeform. Oh, yeah. I don't know what they they've changed the name fifty times. Yeah, it's Freeform. But I mean, it, it's it's a classic, and it's one of those things where it was such a you know contained movie. I don't know that it needed a sequel. I mean, it's one of those things where more might be less, and but we're hoping that it's not the case. That what we get actually, you know, is a worthy successor to what we already know. Well. Speaking of, on this same topic of movies coming back, I have to bring this up. This was not on the agenda for us to discuss, but I'm seeing this meme resurface again of Beetlejuice 2. Yep. And we discussed this before. I'll let you talk a little bit about what happened to the alleged part two that was supposed to come out. But I'm seeing this poster again, and people are like, oh, my God, please tell me this is real. or No way. This is so exciting. And it's like... Come on, it's 2021. We've been seeing this since 2015. Yeah, it's been. It's, I think it's been pretty hardly, pretty hard debunked at this point. It's not going to happen. But Reverend, can you go into detail why it's not going to happen? Well, or why it didn't happen? It didn't happen originally because uh, obviously after the success of the original film, uh, you know the the company that made it, and, and I'm drawing a blank as to the company that made the the film originally. Uh, now I believe it's Warner Brothers. But anyways, they. Uh, they they were very much wanting a sequel. Obviously, it was going to be a money maker if they got it. But at the, you got to remember at the time that this was being, you know, that this would have came out. Uh, Tim Burton had really blown up as far as like you know being in demand as far as a director. Uh, Michael Keaton, you know, obviously it also you know blown up. Uh, Batman in particular was uh, you know really making the rounds, and so they. Film studio wanted to to make the film, but they didn't want to give either the time to make the the script the way that that Burton wanted, because uh, he wanted to take his time. He had all these other projects going on, so he wanted to be able to work on it and kind of finesse it. And they they didn't really want to give him that time, and because they you know it's always strike while the iron is hot type situation. And of course, yeah. they wasn't willing to wait for Keaton or Ryder to kind of work through the movies that they were doing at the time. Because I mean, you got to remember, Winona Ryder was like I mean the it girl at this time. I mean. This was a, absolutely, you know, she, you know, this was around the time right before Heather's and, you know, uh, reality bites and all that would come later. But I mean, she was really catching on. And so, but they, they just wasn't ready or willing to give either the script or the actors time to be able to work out their schedules, to be able to make something good. So they, they tried to move forward with this one script and it sounds absolutely horrific. It would have basically been somebody else playing Beetlejuice first of all. And it would have been him in in some kind of Pacific setting, like the Hawaii or something like that, more of a Caribbean or you know Caribbean, some kind of you know the tropical setting, if you want to, if you were. And uh, he was basically following them around and harassing the family. And it it, it sounds like dog shit on paper, so I can only oh, yeah. imagine how bad it would have been if it had actually been filmed. 
And of course, uh, you know, being as big of a director as he was at the time, Tim Burton still had creative uh, control over the property, and he just told him, "No, if that's what you got to do, we're not. We're never making a sequel to this thing." So that's how it originally ended. That's why we didn't get a part two to begin with. There's been rumors, kind of, I, I want to say festering, just because it's aggravating that it, it, you know, to me that it's you know out there, but there's nothing that's probably ever going to be made of it. That Burton does want to go back and and look at it, and because he's you know had plenty of time to look at things and kind of come up with ideas, and I'm sure that you know with Keaton. Uh, recently agreeing to go back and don the cowl again as Batman. Uh, he's kind of showing that he's, you know, all for or at least willing to go back and, and do some of his older properties. And, of course, Winona Ryder with Stranger Things, she's obviously back in, you know, the the mainstream consciousness again. There's a chance for this movie, but I don't think, but, I mean, that what you're talking about, that meme, that's been circulating forever way before all this recent development stuff came about. Yeah, and with Tim Burton having creative control and taking control – that is how you prevent hot garbage from turning into a dumpster <laughs> fire. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, preventing a horrible script from going into play just to have this alleged part two. And I know this was a long, long time ago. I mean, late 80s is when the original Beetlejuice came out. Um, I agree. Well, you didn't necessarily say this, but I'm sure it was implied that this is also another case of less is more with Beetlejuice. I don't think they need a part two, to be honest I, with you. I don't either. I mean, if you look at how the the movie went and how it went along, it would be really hard. I mean, you, you'd have to basically jettison anything with the Maitlands at this point uh, to be able to do anything with it. And, I mean, that was kind of the whole focus of the first movie. I mean, it, was, it wasn't Beetlejuice. The Beetlejuice that everybody knows and loves is, I mean, he's in that film, but uh, I think a lot of people more remember the character he was in the cartoon series, which I loved and adored oh, as a yeah. kid. I loved the cartoon. But that's what people think of, and, it, and you know, Beetlejuice was not the focus of the movie necessarily. It was it was the Maitlands were the ones that were the focus, and, you know, of course, Winona Ryder. Well, he took over. I mean, he was, he stole the spotlight, he, he st- let's be He honest. stole the spotlight, but I'm just saying, if you go by the original film, they were the, the protagonists. They were the ones that had the, the story arc. I mean, you know, Beetlejuice didn't have any story arc at all. He didn't grow as a character at all. That's why we love him, don't get me wrong, but he, yeah. script-wise, he was not the focus of the script, and so if they make a part two... I feel like they would have to kind of delve more into the territory of the cartoon and kind of make it more about Beetlejuice somehow befriending, you know, Winona Ryder's character in that film. And, uh, you know, I I mean, it worked for the cartoon just because it was a cartoon, but I don't, I mean, you would have to basically retcon a lot of stuff to get it to work with the first film. Yeah, and that's unnecessary. So as as bad as that sounds, I mean, uh, you know, going back to the original thing that sparked this, Hocus Pocus 2 is happening Hopefully it's not the, you know, dumpster fire that would have been Beetlejuice 2 if it had actually went ahead as planned. Yeah, I wonder if scripts have ever been written for part two of Hocus Pocus. And if they did, were they reviewed and were they like, no, no, trash, hot garbage, redo this, change this, change that, till they found something that they liked? Because that can go good or bad. That could be really, really good because you took your time to do it right. Or you could have been like, well, what do the people want? What do we think the people want? And there's no way in hell you can, you know, make every person, every fan happy. So when you do that, I feel like a lot of the storyline goes downhill. Yeah, they're not going to be able to tap. I mean, it's lightning in a bottle. That's that's why, you know, the whole less is more type thing. 
there are so many things that, that, that people enjoy about that first film that I don't think that they can possibly cover. I mean, they're going, they're, they're going to have to tilt one way or the other, uh, probably toward the Sanderson sisters. And I mean, that, that's all well and good, but to me, it's the ensemble cast in general that kind of makes that movie, even the child actors that were not necessarily the greatest in that movie. It's, I mean, especially if you grew up on that film, and you rooted for them and you kind of live vicariously through them, it's going to miss something by not having their perspective. They might try to tap into that again with these, uh, you know, new uh, female leads that they've got. But I mean, it's, it's the original fans are going to probably feel cold with regards to that. And then there was a rumor at one point in time that they were going to set it in some kind of city setting like New York or something. And, and I'm thankful at least this blurb says it's going to be in Salem because those original mocked up pictures of the Sanderson system, sisters in New York City just looked like crap to me. So, I mean, I, I mean, it looked like a witch version of Ever After or whatever that live action film was that Disney did a few years back. Oh, dear Lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> But, I mean, do you have anything else to, to comment about Hocus Pocus 2 before we move on to the next news article? Yeah, I just want to know, will another virgin light the candle, the black flame candle? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure that's how they're going to set it up. And Was there any of that candle left over? I, I don't really remember, to be honest with you. I don't... Hmm, did it have to burn the entire night? I can't remember. Yeah, it did. Sunlight is obviously when the sun rose from the next day. I know that's when their time was up. I don't remember. We'll have to go back and revisit whether or not the candle burned out. But it was a specially made candle from the fat of a hangman, was it? Or the fat of a... I yeah. forgot. I believe it was the hangman, yeah. And there was uh, the fact that two of the sisters completely burst in the dust. I mean, that's going to be hard to retcon. I mean, I don't, you know, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I guess you could argue that over time that the bodies would have been decomposed in the dust anyways, given the length of time. But, I mean, at least there was corpses there. I mean, you know, you got the, you know, Winifred is now just a, you know, a stone statue, which she could easily come back. But I don't, I mean, her sisters, I mean, their dust is scattered to the wind. So that's a whole separate issue. You could say all they are is dust in the wind. <laughs> oh, my Lord, Kansas. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, moving on from that, uh, Jaws is real. That's right, everybody. Yeah. According to Yahoo Sports, a Florida man has more than just meth and gators to worry about. An estimated 600-pound pregnant bull shark was spotted off the coast of Jupiter, Florida. Uh, pictures of the monstrous shark alongside divers and other sharks uh, show it dwarfing every other creature in its vicinity. While this shark, uh, species of shark can get even bigger, most in the region only get to be about 250 pounds due to overfishing in the area, which you know, and so they have less uh, food to feed off of and get that large. It was a. Uh, it was interesting if you read the article. Uh, the guy who's kind of a that that mentioned it and kind of an expert on the type of thing says that normally they're pretty uh, timid when it comes around humans, but this one just made mosey this way in there like it owned the place. So. Oh dear lord, this thing is massive. They say now the picture, if you look at it, it's got you got to account for perspective. It makes it look slightly bigger than it was, but it still looks well, massive. Yeah. yeah. It's still pretty. No, I realize that looking at it, but oh man, <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, if you if you anybody out there listening, look look that article up about that. It, I mean, it's uh, I you know it definitely uh, just like the movie doesn't make you want to go in the ocean anytime soon. Yeah, no, thank you, no, thank you. <laughs> you know what? It's Neptune from Resident Evil. Yeah, that 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 would work too, <laughs> and that cycles back to our first story. Oh lordy. 
Okay. I want to move on from this. This is terrifying. Okay. Uh, Screen Rant is reporting that Army of Thieves, the live-action prequel to Army of the Dead, was recently teased in a promotion uh, series promotion pictures by Zack Snyder. Uh, this will actually follow one of the, the, the main uh, leads in the first film, kind of a German safecracker. I don't even know how to pronounce the guy's name, so I'm not even going to attempt it. But he, the actor is also going to be directing... And it's going to follow a, a brand new series of people. I don't know. It doesn't really say that zombies are involved in this because it almost seems like it's following their exploits. So I don't know how this is going to tie in, but it's supposed to be a prequel of sorts. And they are also okay. uh, announcing that a prequel cartoon series uh, will also follow on Netflix. Okay, don't you think this is just a bit much? <laughs> I think it's a bit, a bit much in the sense that it is, I mean, I came into it drawn in by the zombies you know potential and these have nothing to do with it now granted they they're giving backstory and if they somehow cap off in one of these two something about the time loop thing then just like we said in our last episode of death holler that's going to make the army of the dead infinitely more uh, palatable and interesting than what it is as a current film but I mean, I, I don't know that I want to watch a movie that you know is just about a bunch of safe crackers or whatever. You know, they, they're going to have to. He's going to have to prove himself to make to make this worthy of anything to me. Yeah, I mean, come on now, we can watch watch Ocean's Eleven. Come Exa- on now, exactly. And and I would imagine. I mean, I'm not putting down Snyder for his directorial abilities, but I, Ocean's Eleven, I don't think he can top. I mean, with his style. So if that's what I, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't know how he's going with these films. We'll have to wait and see. But you know that that's how it is. Uh, I'm I'm going through the whole. I mean, Zack Snyder. He's kind. He is definitely a creative genius. I'm looking at his movies, but I just don't see how. You follow a horror film with a non-horror film, <laughs> despite the fact that it's supposed to be a prequel. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I mean, now, the fact that this follows that safecracker and the fact that, you know, he is the one of the ones that's the lines delivered to about how they've already lived this before and, you know, all that, that could very well be the time loop. It, it could be. I get it, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and if they end it, now, this is where it could draw me in. If they ended it with a little bit of horror, like the beginning of the Army of the Dead, like if it leads into that and kind of replays that, that would be kind of cool. I I might consider it because, you know, zombies scare the shit out of me anyway, so I might as well watch the condensed version. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is, I mean, and this is kind of a spoiler for anybody that, you know, so if you want to skip ahead just a little bit, you know, please do so, but... Army of, the, uh, Army of the Dead ends on basically one of the characters from the film getting out of the zone and not realizing that he was bit in the process. So it kind of hints that it's going to further spread out into the world. Now, whether that was a setup to Snyder's Dawn of the Dead or if that's a setup to a whole new sequel, nobody said because he's not talked about sequels at all. He's just talked about prequels to this series. So that, yeah. you know, there's that. But I mean, I could see maybe these safe crackers, you know, because there was, the, they, they moved the, the zombie from area 51. Well, what if they're breaking into area 51 and that's what causes the zombie to be moved. And that's what causes all of this. I mean, that, that could be the lead in who knows. Yeah, actually that would be, again, that would draw more people in, but you would have to kind of know this beforehand or trust that the movie is going to show some kind of aspect of this for people to be a little bit more peaked. 
I don't know. I just don't see it. I just don't see where there's going to be a high interest in this. I'm with you. That's just me. I could be wrong. I'm with you. I mean, if you take, like, say, Night of the Living Dead by Romero, and then you show, like, the first uh, day before all that stuff happens, I mean, is it really going to be interesting at all? I mean, maybe if you see the last few minutes where Barbara and... You know, and her brother are heading to the, you know, to the graveyard. Then, you know, that kind of gives you the chills, knowing what's going to be set up. But I mean, do you need that? Do you want that? No. I mean, it, it's, I, I, you know, I'm with you. I, I, this is going to really have to prove itself. That's all I can say. Yeah, I mean, I wonder. Now, this is Netflix, right? Uh, yes. I've been so deprived of going to the theaters and seeing really good movies. I know there's a few out now. I almost feel like you need, if to get people back in the theaters, you almost need to release this in the theaters because people are so desperate, like myself, to get out of the house and actually go see a movie in the theaters. I know you've said so yourself as well. <laughs> hey, I watched. Why not? I watched Fast yeah. Nine because of that. So if that's exactly. uh, that's desperate, watch anything. I'll watch anything. <laughs> if that's desperation, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So. I mean, that's my recommendation for what it's worth. I mean, for the uh, 14 listeners that we have, <laughs> probably more. I'm joking. I, I honestly don't know. But, you know, for what it's worth to the less than 100 listeners we probably have, hey, this is what I'm saying. Zack Snyder, if you're hearing this, <laughs> hi, can I have your autograph? And secondly, you should probably put this out in the theaters. You'll probably make more money, too. Just throwing that out there. I think Netflix would would also because they've done several films that they've released in the theaters, so I think that there's potential there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, a bit of bad news or sad news, as it were. Uh, Richard Donner passed away uh, just a few days back, like literally the day after I think we recorded our last podcast. Uh, he passed away at the age of ninety-one. Obviously, uh, Donner was the one that that uh, directed the Omen that we covered. But uh, I just looking at his filmography and 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 the article from Yahoo that about his passing, I did not know he was involved in as much stuff as he was. I mean, we covered the fact that it was he was you know over most known for Superman one and two, but the the man also like helped produce the Goonies. Uh, he was the director of the original Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner, which was like Fear at 20,000 Feet, where Shatner's looking out and he sees like the monster on the wing and, you know, everybody thinks yeah. he's crazy. He was the he was producer on The Toy, which I mentioned in the last episode, which is a movie that would definitely be canceled nowadays, where Richard Pryor is bought by, you know, Jackie Gleason's son. Awkward. <laughs> Uh, he was uh, a produ executive producer on Tales from the Crypt, the series, and also the oh shit, and the movies that came out as well, Bordello of Blood yeah. and uh, Demon Knight. And Which we're gonna watch those, much to your dismay. <laughs> not I actually like those movies, so that that's not going to hurt my feelings any. Uh, Demon Knight in particular is is really good. Yeah, that was my favorite. Uh, we have uh, he he was producer on the Lost Boys. I mean, that's a big oh, one. Oh shit. Yeah. And he was involved in Scrooged, which is one of my favorite, uh, you know, Christmas time horror movies. Oh, yes. I think we both agree. That was a really good one that we lo both love. So it's it's sad that he passed away, but I mean, he lived a long life at least at 91 and, you know, just hats off to him. I mean, he, you know, his, uh, his efforts were, you know, definitely, you know... Uh, 
uh, appreciated by everybody, you know, that uh, appreciates uh, cinema and TV in general just because of, you know, his vast wealth of work that he did. Yeah, especially here in the horror community. Yeah, I mean, I, and I was really surprised at that because whenever I found out he did The Omen, I was like, okay. And I was like, you know, but then like looking at everything else, he was really into the genre and I didn't even realize that. Yeah. The last bit of news, kind of so we don't end on a sad note, this is kind of humorous. This is from BBC.com. A U.S. woman found out that she had received a felony embezzlement charge after failing to return a VHS rental copy of Sabrina <laughs> the Teenage Witch. I remember this. <laughs> Texas resident uh, Karen, uh, C-A-R-O-N, McBride, was shocked to find out upon trying to change her married name on her driver's license that she had received a felony charge nearly 20 years prior because of a, not, uh, uh, because of a VHS tape that had not been returned. It was for a copy of the Melissa Joan Hart sitcom, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and McBride says she doesn't even think that it was her rental, that saying, in quotes, it wasn't her cup of tea. <laughs> Nonetheless, she was charged for it and possibly lost five jobs that she applied to in the ensuing years because of the unknown felony on her record. Yeah, which she was unaware of, and not only that, but she did say, like, I guess if somebody's not going to get hired, it's not like the company's going to say, hey, by the way, you have this felony charge. Yeah. I, well, <laughs> yeah. It's it's That's shitty luck. I mean, and it was probably, it, it could have been another Karen, like K-A-R-E-N McBride, since she spells her name so weird, that was the one that actually rented it, and it was attributed to her, and that would be awful. <laughs> well, yeah, and she did also say, um, she said that, at the time, she was, I don't know if she was married to somebody, but she had a, you know, uh, a spouse or a significant other that had uh, children. So she thought that maybe it was something he rented under her name for the girls and never returned. Ultimately, they split up. So she thinks that's what's happened. Now, Melissa Joan Hart did jump in on Twitter and was like, hey, and she tagged all of her Sabrina the Teenage Witch, you know, co-host, not co-host, like they're on a podcast, co-stars, <laughs> and said, hey, is there anything we can do? Can we auction off some of the things we have, maybe stuff from the set to help this woman out? I don't know if anything came of that. I didn't read any further beyond that. Uh, yeah, I didn't see anything after that happened. It was just, but I mean, at least she tried to do something for, you know, this this poor woman. But yeah, that, I, I didn't see if anything had actually came out of that or not. Oh my God. And it was a VHS tape of all things. Yeah, of all, uh, and of the, the TV series. I mean, you know, it's not like we're talking about, you know, chaos here, you know, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. This was the old, uh, you know, in some ways better, but in a lot of ways cheesier version of the show. You know what is ridiculous about this is that the store, or if the business is even still running, they were contacted and they said, no, we are not pressing charges. You need to reverse this. You know, we're we're not going to be pursuing this. And yet the state has still, like, insisted on pursuing this and charging her, which is fucking ridiculous. It's, I mean, it. You know, I I had a couple of bad run-ins with uh, Blockbuster myself whenever I was, uh, you know, renting movies. So I get that, you know, uh, in my case, they, they had a shitty return, uh, you know, place that were like, I mean, if it was after hours, you, you had this little side return and, and they had like the shag carpet that was kind of like built into it to help it, you know, roll down in there, I guess. But there was a hole that had developed in the shag carpet, so it went underneath the carpet instead of actually on top of it. And they tried to turn around and charge me like, I don't know, 80 bucks for like some kind of like 
DVD or something I rented at the time. So I can totally get to how this happened. This is, you know, oh some, my God. all kinds of bullshit like that. Well, there is an update, and this is from OklahomaCityFox.com, which basically says that uh, the Cleveland County District Attorney's Office did decide that they were going to dismiss the case. However, she still needs to get it expunged from her record, which that is not cheap. You still need a lawyer. You need proper documentation. It takes time. Uh, it still has to get approved by a judge. Uh, this is a case where I really hope that Melissa Joan Hart can flex her muscle a little bit and get like a GoFundMe set for this lady and kind of get the legal fees covered because that, I mean, something like that needs to happen. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I'm trying to see if there's any... No, I don't see any updates in terms of Melissa Joan Hart. It doesn't say, hey, Melissa Joan Hart got some help for this woman or anything. I know she was trying... Again, I don't know if anything came of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've never seen, I didn't see anything in the articles that I, that I looked at that said anything came out of it either, unfortunately, on her attempts to try to get some, you know, support behind this lady. That is too bad. So sad. Um, do you have anything else, Urena, that you would like to bring up in the news segment? Uh, I don't at the time. I've only been following the news that you've been sending me, so. Okay. <laughs> That's all for this edition of the news. I am the Reverend Dr. Death. And I am La Yarena. Up next is the weather, where it's expected to be hot as hell with a chance of frogs falling from the sky. Good night. Oh, my God. <laughs> Good night, Reverend. <laughs> yeah, that one threw me for a loop. Thank you for tuning in to Death Holler News, a production of Los Diablos Blancos Network, with your host, the Reverend Dr. Death and La Arena. You can listen to Death Holler on Spotify, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcast, and now iTunes. Please like, subscribe, follow, and share. We'll catch you next time. And don't forget to bring your death certificate.